So we're wrapping up a series we've been calling The Shepherd. We've been looking at the 23rd Psalm and talking about the, the fact that the 23rd Psalm is not just a famous poem or a beautiful poem. It's both of those things. But in fact, it's, it's kind of a parable of life. And it walks through the primary facets and aspects of our lives in a way that helps us to see how much we need to be in relationship both with the shepherd and with our fellow sheep. The Bible often describes us as sheep and Jesus Jesus as the shepherd. So let's read 23rd Psalm one more time. I'm not going to keep you too awfully long today. We wanted to make sure we had plenty of time for our graduates, but I do want us to approach the Lord's table in communion today. And, uh, and, and I'll say quickly, you don't have to be an owner here at the bridge to join us. It's not our table. It's the Lord's table. Uh, but it is important that you understand what we're doing and and we're honoring the shepherd this morning. But let's read 23rd Psalm one more time, and I want to share a few thoughts with you as we wrap up our series. You ready to go? One, two, three, go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So did you, did you follow the journey? Those of you that have been a part of the series for the next for the last six weeks or so, did you follow the journey, the six aspects of life? The Christian life begins when you make the Lord your shepherd. The shepherd is your Lord, but hear me, the Lord won't be your shepherd unless the shepherd is your Lord. And so when you establish that relationship, your Christian life begins, and immediately he begins to restore and renew your life from the hurts and pains that come from not having followed him before. As you go through life, he leads you on right paths, the paths that he designed for you, the paths that he custom made you for, where you can accomplish the most things in life and find the fulfillment, the abundant life that he made for you. And yes, there are times along the way that we go into these dark valleys and they can be scary and difficult and painful kinds of times, but we never go into those times alone because the shepherd is with us. He has his staff and his rod that Pastor Luke talked to you about last week that, that comfort us during those difficult times and his goodness and his mercy follow us all the while we're going through this journey until in time we finally hear him say those words, welcome home. And that's life. That's what life is all about. That's what the 23rd Psalm lays out for us. In fact, I think it might be worth illustrating. Can we illustrate that just quite quick so you can just kind of see the picture of it? Would that be helpful to you? So I'm going to play the role of the, of the shepherd this morning. i got a shepherd's staff somewhere. I think they covered it up for me, but, but here it is. There we go. Thank you. Uh, everybody say thank you, Cliff. For covering up my staff. Thank you, Cliff. So, so I'm going to play the role of the shepherd, uh, and, but, but the shepherd's not a good shepherd unless he has some sheep. So where's my sheep? I need my sheep peeps. Here we go. Here's my sheep. All right, I got some sheep. All right, thank you guys. Coming up here. There we go. Got my sheep. And then, then what do the Bible say? That his rod and his staff will comfort them. But it also said that surely goodness and mercy shall follow them, which means we've got a couple of sheep dogs uh, that come along behind. Uh, 
named Goodness and Mercy, and they're the guys, the, the sheepdog, what do sheepdogs do? They keep the sheep in the flock. And so we're ready to go on the journey of life. Come on, guys. They, come on, let's go on the journey of life. And, and as we go through the journey of life, the shepherd recognizes that every now and then we have to stop and rest. And they don't want to rest. But, but I say, come on, guys, we got to rest. Sometimes I have to make them lie down and rest because they don't want to. But it's important that they rest. Don't kill him. Don't kill him, okay? Mercy. Your name is Mercy. Okay. <laughs> Right, and so eventually we find out that there's that, that we've kind of exhausted the pasture here, and so as we come summertime, we have to go up to higher ground where the fresh grass is. So we start going, but there's a dark, scary passageway to get to higher ground, and so as we make our way through, it can be scary, and sometimes the sheep will panic and they will try to get away, and, and, but and, and, and so, <laughs> sometimes the sheepdog have to tackle them. <laughs> Until finally the shepherd says, welcome home, we've arrived. <sighs> Can we give it up for the sheep and the sheepdogs this morning? <clears throat> that wouldn't be nearly as fun as it was if it weren't for Cliff and Kevin. I, I just got to be honest with you. See, <laughs> so you get the picture. That's, that's life. That's the picture of Life, so with a with a support team like that, fellow sheep, sheep dogs, a shepherd, what could Satan possibly throw at you to to kick you off the path? The answer is nothing as long as you're listening to the shepherd's voice, you're following where he leads, and you're letting goodness and mercy keep you in the flock. So what does that mean? In practical terms, I just want to take a couple of moments. And then we're going to approach the Lord's table in communion this morning. What, what does that mean in practical terms? I see three reasons why I can face the future with confidence. Not because I know what the future holds, because I don't have a clue. We've all been stunned by life. We've all been shocked by life. We've all been in those moments when we did not see that coming and we don't know how we're going to deal with it or get through it. It kicks the wind out of our sails. We've all been there, done that, but, but we can still face the future with faith because we know who holds the future. There are three things that I see in this passage that helps us to have confidence no matter what the future throws at us. Number one, my shepherd's goodness is following me. No matter where I go, no matter what I run into, my shepherd's goodness is following me. It says in verse 6, surely goodness will follow me all the days of my life. Simply put, because the Lord is my shepherd and because the Lord is good, then goodness is going to follow. I can expect that no matter where I go, what I do, what I face, goodness is going to follow me as long as the Lord is my shepherd. So does that mean that everything that happens is good? Does that mean everything that happens is the Lord's will? Now, that's a challenge for some people because people have been trained in that. But hear me, guys. When Jesus was asked to teach us to pray, one of the things he taught us to pray was, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How's it done in heaven? Perfectly, because angels don't have free will. Is it done perfectly on earth? No, because we have free will. And so everything that happens isn't necessarily God's perfect plan for our lives, but he has this incredible way of bringing good out of it nevertheless. So everything that happens isn't necessarily good. David, who wrote this psalm? Did everything that happened in David's, everything that happened in David's life, was it good? 
Some of you know something about David's life. I mean, he, at one point in his young life, he was separated from his best friend by his best friend's father. And then his best friend's father turned around and tried to kill him and chased him for 10 years trying to kill him. Well, he ran through the, and hid. I mean, that's, and then even after he grew up and became king, he had an infant son to die. Later, he had an adult son that tried to rebel and died in the re rebellion. I mean, even after all of that, David still is the one who wrote the words. Goodness follows me all the days of my life. How about the Apostle Paul? Did everything that happened in Apostle Paul's life, was it good? No, read through 1 Corinthians. He will tell you that, that he was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was imprisoned just for preaching good news. I mean, and yet Paul, late in life, still wrote those words that are so well known by many of us. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 9, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose to be conformed to the image of his son. Who's that promise for? Everybody? It's not what it says. God works for good of those who love him. In other words, for the Lord to be your shepherd, the shepherd has to be your Lord. But if the Lord is your shepherd, you're going to love him. And those who love him, he has an amazing way of working all things into a pattern for good. In other words, no matter what happens when your shepherd is your Lord, you can know that you will look back one day and see God's hand in it all, even in the difficult valleys. So let me say this as bluntly as I know how. There is no difficulty, there is no challenge, there is no disaster, there is no problem that you will ever face on this earth that is too big for God to bring good out of it. And he will if you will give it to him, if you will trust him with it. That's important. Why? Why is trust such the key element in that? Because goodness follows. The fact of the matter is when we're going through these difficult times, it's really hard to see anything good at all. Can I get an amen in the room? It's hard to imagine anything good could ever possibly come out of this. And so trust is critical to this whole Thing. The longer you walk with him, though, the more you trust him, the more you see his track record, the more you trust his track record. And before you know it, you find yourself coming into a difficulty when you have no clue how God could ever possibly use this. But you've come to trust his character and trust who he is. And so you find yourself even in the midst of difficulty saying, I can't wait to see what he's going to do with this one because this is bad. It's not good, but God's going to bring good out of it. Paul was in prison uh, just for preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. Ultimately was beheaded. Is that good? Somebody say, no, that's not good. It's on the scale of good to bad. That's really, really bad, okay? But while he was in prison, he wrote a third of the New Testament. Is that good? Somebody say, yes, that's good. Jesus died on the cross. Is that good? No, it's the most horrific way to die as possible that mankind has ever devised, but that's when our sin was paid for. I mean, it's good. I mean, if you've been with the Lord very long, you'd no doubt have plenty of experiences uh, like this as well. I mean, I certainly have had plenty. I could just tell you stories the rest of the morning if you wanted to, um, 
But my mind, as I was writing this week and thinking about sharing this truth with you, my mind went back to <coughs> the beginning of our second term as missionaries to the Philippines. We went, we, we were there for four years. We came home for a few months and, and, uh, and caught up with friends and family and did some fundraising and then went back. And when we got back the first week we were back, uh, Kim woke up during the night and, and woke me up and said, Jim, I think there's somebody in the house. And we were burglarized that night. Some men came in and uh, they had been watching the house, obviously, and they saw us come back and they knew we were Americans. We'd come back from the States. So they figured we brought some good stuff with us. So they broke into the house during the night. And, uh, and I came like a crazy man, came running out of my bedroom with a golf club screaming at them. And they dove out the window and took off. As it turns out, they were stacking the stuff just outside the window. Uh, to collect later, uh, and uh, and so we were able to recover our stuff. Now that's good news, right? Except to say now they know what we got: computers and all the. They're coming back. They're coming with weapons next time. And so within a week, we had to move. And sure enough, a week later, they came back with weapons. And it was a big shootout with the police right there in the home we lived in for four years. Is that good? No, that's bad. No sooner than we got. Uh, our legs under us, we were about to make our first trip. I would go out in the rainforest with teams and we would do evangelistic crusades and plant churches out of that. The first trip was planned and just as we were about to go, I developed a cold that became bronchial pneumonia and I couldn't go. And I said, guys, I just, I can't, I can't go. And so I prepped them for the trip. I sent the team of Filipinos on by themselves. They came back and reported back to me what happened and and so, okay, that's great. That's awesome. And we learned from that experience. We planned another trip. And no sooner than we planned this other trip, we're about to go. I'm feeling better now. And the motor blew up in my truck. I couldn't go. Had to go right back to the States and try to find a sponsor that would help us rebuild the motor in my truck. I lost the whole first traveling dry season planting churches the Filipino team had to go by themselves and I would prep them and they'd come back and we'd debrief and they'd go again. I lost the whole season that first uh, year back in our second term and several times during that period I said, God, why did you bring us back here to, to sit here with pneumonia, to sit here with blown up trucks? What could possibly be good about this? But you know what? By the end of the term, the church planting teams were so well established, they didn't necessarily need me to go with them which freed me up to come back to the States to plant the church that we planted in Chesapeake, but that ultimately put us in position to move back to North Carolina to be near our moms in their late years and to ultimately be a part of this great ministry. God was planning all along, and he's working through it all along. You see, what, what Satan meant for harm, God used for good. That's how he works, guys. That's how he works. So if Jesus has been your shepherd very long, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But the bottom line is this. You can face the future with confidence because the shepherd, the Lord, is following you with his goodness. The second reason that I can face the, the future with confidence is because his mercy is keeping me. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I love that word mercy in the Old Testament, uh, because it's actually the Hebrew word chesed. Now, say hes chesed with me. Come on. A couple of you got it. You got, you got a little guttural thing going on. Is it anybody with Jewish backgrounds or Hebrew? You, you got I'm, I'm murdering this. I apologize. But there's a Come on, do it with me. Come on over here. You can do that. 
Chesed, that's what it is. And, and oh, you guys are really good. And so chesed is one of those words that there is no English translation for. I have no idea how to say it in English. It's just so limited. But you will often see it in the Bible uh, translated as mercy or faithfulness or compassion or, 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 you know, those kinds of words. But chesed is so much bigger than even all of those words combined. So the best definition that I can come up with is chesed is God's faithful, compassionate love toward us. And so every time you see a word like mercy or kindness or faithfulness or compassion in the Old Testament, it very well be, may be the word chesed that literally means his loving, compassionate love, faithfulness toward you. And here's what I want you to know, no matter how you define it, what word you used, God says in Isaiah 60, 10, I will have mercy on you through my grace. There's another one of those words. How do, you, how do you define grace? Some people define grace as, as God's riches at Christ's expense. That's a pretty good definition. Somebody said grace is God giving us what we need, not what we deserve. That's not a bad definition in itself. Some people say it's God wanting a relationship with us so Badly that he gave his one and only son to die in our place. The wages of sin is death, but we're the ones that did the sin. He's the one that took the death. Whatever you define it, whatever words you use, how many of you are glad with me that the Psalm, Psalm 23 doesn't say, surely justice shall follow me all the days of my life? Can I get an amen, hallelujah, in the room? Because we're all in deep trouble if that's what it says. One of the most profound moments of my life was when I was in seminary way back when, I had the privilege of studying under Dr. Gordon Fee. Dr. Fee uh, wrote uh, a lot of the New International Commentary series. He wrote How to Study the Bible for All It's Worth, a hermeneutics, hermeneutics textbook. He spoke Greek and Hebrew like I speak English. He's just a brilliant scholar, man of God. And, and the first time I ever sat under his teaching, he went for 90 minutes on the morality and ethics of Christianity. And by the time he was done, I was under the desk in a fetal position because I knew I must not be saved. I just, there's no way I could live up to any of that stuff he just said. The, 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 the level of morality and ethics are so incredibly high when you read through the teachings of Jesus. Time for the class to be over 90 minutes in. He said, well, I'm out of time. I mean, the whole class is just mesmerized as he spoke. He said, well, I'm out of time, but I need to say one more thing before you go. And he rose up to his full six-foot-three frame, and he said, if you think that Gordon Fee is a paragon of the virtues that I've just espoused, then you don't know Gordon Fee. And he began to weep. He said, I'm just a trophy of God's grace. You're free to go. Nobody went anywhere. As we sat there and reflected on no matter who you are, what you've done, what you know, how much you've accomplished, how famous you are, at the end of the day, we're just trophies of God's grace. We celebrate his grace, which is why Psalm 103 needs shouting. I want you to close your eyes with me. 
And I just want you to picture this. I don't know what kind of grace you need right now. Chesed includes all kinds of grace, saving grace, restoring grace, healing grace, transforming grace, all kinds of grace. But listen, the same David later wrote in life, I will not forget the glorious things God does for me. He forgives all my sins. He heals me. He ransoms me from hell. He surrounds me with loving kindness. That's chesed again. He fills my life with good things. He's merciful and tender toward those who don't deserve it. He's slow to get angry. He never bears a grudge. He has not punished us as we deserve for our sins. For his mercy is as great as the height of the heavens. He's like a father to us, tender and sympathetic to those who reverence him. When you really grasp the grace of God, And how incredibly blessed we have to know that no matter what we experience in life, his goodness and his mercy follows us every moment of every day. He's not only good, he's merciful. When you get that, you have the confidence to face whatever comes next. I heard somebody describe it another way instead of sheepdogs, so I'll just throw this in because different analogies work for different people. Some people said that surely goodness and mercy following is kind of like a mama and a daddy following a toddler who's going through life making a mess as they go and they're cleaning up the mess behind him as he goes. Maybe that works for you, I don't know, but at the end of the day, I need God's grace. Anybody here need God's grace? Anybody thankful for God's grace? Well, then let's do what the Hebrew writer said and approach the Lord's table in communion. You should find a communion set somewhere nearby. They're in all the seats. Just look down the row. You'll find one. Again, you need not be an owner of the bridge to join us. It's not our table. It's the Lord's table. It is important that you understand what we're about to do. We're not just going to drink some juice and eat a wafer. We're going to do what the Hebrew writer said in chapter 4, verse 16. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Picture it. This amazing God who spoke and the world came into existence says, come here. Anytime, come near. My door is open to you. Come near. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Sometimes when we're singing, we're in worship and you get this sense of the presence of God washing over you. There's There's this thing, kind of Isaiah went through it in Isaiah 6. It's, whoa, it's me. I I have no right to be in the presence of God. And we shrink back from that. We get self-conscious in those moments instead of leaning into God-conscious moments. And he says, don't be shy. Come here. Don't be afraid. Come here. Because when you get here, you're going to get mercy. When you get here, you're going to get kindness. When you get here, you're going to get chesed. So as you hold those elements in your hand, as you prepare your own heart for 
communion, I want you to think about this. Sheep have a reputation of being destructive to pasture land. It's said that they, they eat the grass all the way down to the roots and, and will decimate a pasture. But the reality is that sheep with a good shepherd know when to move them on to the next pasture. And the result is by moving them on to the next pasture, taking them to higher ground at the appropriate times, sheep are one of the best domesticated animals on the planet. They actually eat all kinds of obnoxious weeds and plants that you don't want out there. Their droppings are some of the best compost of any natural fertilizer, if you want to call it that. It's just phenomenal what they do. In fact, the, the Israelites used to call them the animals of golden hooves. So a well-managed sheep, a good sheep with a good shepherd that listens to their shepherd, not only have goodness and mercy following them, but they leave goodness and mercy in their wake as they go. So what are you leaving in your wake as you go through life? We're the sheep. What are you leaving? As we prepare to eat that wafer, I want you to ask yourself, am I leaving peace or turmoil? Am I leaving forgiveness or bitterness? Am I leaving contentment or conflict? Am I leaving joy or frustration? Pray with me, would you? Lord, help me to see myself through the eyes of your goodness and mercy. Help me to see the people in my life, the lost and the hurting around me with your compassion, not my critical spirit. Help me to give the same measure of goodness and mercy to others that you give to me. Help me to be the same kind of shepherd for others that you role model for me and forgive me for those times that I failed. On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it and he blessed it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Would you take that wafer in your hand? Would you break it? And would you receive the wafer together? Then the Bible says in the same manner also, he took the cup, saying, this is the New Testament in my blood, and every time you drink of it, you're doing so in the remembrance of what I did for you on Calvary. You see, he... He shed his blood. He gave his life that day. And by his stripes, we are 
healed, the Bible says. So as you drink this cup, let it be a reminder, not only of the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy that's available to you, but the power that's available to you. Same power that the Father used to raise the Son from the dead is available to you, according to Paul. Father, bless this cup as we drink together. Let's drink together. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being in your presence and recognizing your grace. We commit our hearts afresh to you being our Lord because we recognize what you've done for us and yes, we recognize that we need a shepherd. We recognize his name is Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I said there were three reasons why we could be confident of the future or at least face it with confidence. The first one, of course, is that his goodness is following me. The second, his mercy is keeping me. The third is his help, his heaven welcomes me. There's one more image in Psalm 23 that I thought I'd share with you as we wrap up this series. It's found in verses 5 and 6 of Psalm 23. My cup runs over, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's a custom, I'm told, in, among Bedouin tribes that existed certainly during the days that David wrote these words. I'm told that in some parts of uh, the Middle East it still exists in those Bedouin tribes, the nomadic tribes that live out in the desert environments, living in tents and traveling. Um, and the custom goes kind of like this. If, uh, if you come to my tent and you're welcome to pay a visit to my tent, the first thing I do out of politeness is I offer you something to drink. Water is a precious commodity to the desert dweller. And so you're saying to the visitor, you are very valuable to me. You're so valuable to me that I will give up some of my water in order for you to be able to be here and visit with me for a while. It's a, it's a welcoming thing. And we, we kind of still have that custom, don't we? I mean, somebody comes over and we'll say, can I get you a glass of tea or something? And that custom is pretty common even to this day uh, in most of the world. Um, but, but here's how the custom goes from there. After that, the custom says that if you drink the water that I've given you, and I refill your cup, I give you some more, well, that means you, you're welcome to continue visiting. I value you so much, I want you to stick around longer. And so as long as I'm refilling your cup, you can keep visiting, uh, which is to say that if I stop filling your cup and it gets empty, it's time to go home, dude. <laughs> I kind of wish that custom was still around. I don't know about you guys, but uh, that's how it works. But here's what David said. The third part of the custom is my cup runs over. You see the way the custom goes. If I fill your glass so full that it runs over the sides and down the table into the desert sand below. You are more valuable to me than water. You're part of my family now. 
And that's what the shepherd is saying. My cup runs over means welcome home. My prayer for each of us is that no matter what we face in life, that we can face the future with confidence because his mercy, his goodness are following and keeping. But because there's going to come a day, it won't be as long as it has been, I'm sure. When Revelation 21, 4 will be true, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That day is coming. This life is just brief compared to the eternity that's before us. So don't ever forget when life gets tough, Remember 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, you are only visitors here. This is not my home. Our real home is in heaven. I'm proud to be an American. I am. Travel all over the world, never hung my head once for being an American. But I'm not a citizen here. I'm a citizen of heaven. We're going to be there together forever. When that sinks in, you finally rest in the shepherd's care. So our job is, is simple. What's, what's the shepherd's job? One more time, we've done it throughout the series. What's the shepherd's job? To guide, provide, correct, and protect. What's my job? We said this in the first message of the series, pop test time. What, what's my job? John chapter 10, verse 27 and 8. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Who's going to heaven? His sheep. How do you know if you're his sheep? You listen for his voice. You know his voice. You follow his voice. That's your job. That's it. That's it. Listen. No follow. He will guide, provide, correct, and protect. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for being willing to be our shepherd. We as sheep often go astray. We struggle to stay in the flock. We struggle to submit to goodness and mercy. We, we're just messy. So thank you for loving us even when we're messing it up. I pray simply here and now that each one of us would ask ourselves that question. Is he my shepherd? Do I know his voice? Do I listen for his voice? Do I follow when he calls? And if not, for any reason, then let this be the day I make the most important decision I'll ever make. I will follow you. Eyes closed. Nobody's looking around, just me and you and God for a minute. Just want you to say those words. If you're ready from your heart, you can say them silently, say them aloud, but say them. He's listening. I want to know your voice. I will listen 
to your voice, I will follow you. Father, you see our hearts, you hear our prayers. Give us the quiet confidence that you are in fact the shepherd that will lead us through every aspect of life. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said together,